I'm Ashton Rotansi and welcome back to Going Underground. Tens of millions face death this winter because they don't have enough to eat. NATO nation media blames Russia for making the year-on-year -year starvation in the global south worse, while massive corporations and Western oligarchs promote the use of money-making technology to solve the most basic problems facing humanity interconnected with climate change. Our guest today is a world-renowned environmentalist attacked in NATO nations, the New Yorker, called her a demagogue, but who has risked her life to educate the world about the malign power of late capitalism. She's the author of over 20 books, including her latest, Terra Viva, My Life in a Biodiversity of Movements. And her journey from atomic scientist to fearless fighter for natural seeds is chronicled in the new film, The Seeds of Vandana Shiva. Food is a weapon. When you sell real weapons, you control armies. When you control food, you control society. But when you control seed, you control life on Earth. Industrial farming is the single biggest destructive force on the planet today. The war against the Earth begins in the minds of men. And I mean men. Vandana Shiva is one of the most prominent activists in the world. Oh my God, he's a hero. This is Bandana Shiva. I'm Dan. That's a part of Bandana. She's a warrior to the patriarchal system that destroys. Vandana was one of the pioneers who started the global seed movement. Owning intellectual property right on seed is a pathetic attempt at seed dictatorship. And you can watch The Seeds of Vandana Shiva now on VandanaShivaMovie.com. But now the legendary veteran of WTO Seattle 1999 and countless battles since Dr. Vandana Shiva joins me from Dehradun in India. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Vandana, for coming back on the show. Uh, before I even get to the amazing documentary, I really think everyone should uh, watch it to understand more about you rather than just uh, talking at different conferences. Uh, it gives a different type of perspective. Uh, I have to really begin because this year is the 38th anniversary of the Bhopal uh, uh, disaster, billed as one of the largest, uh, maybe the largest industrial disaster in history. Why do you think it's so emblematic of all your fights and struggles and uh, work on, uh, on how capitalism manifests itself in its war on the poor? Well, uh, you know, the Bhopal disaster, which has been called by our people the Bhopal genocide, um, brings together the fact that development in the third world is the introduction of toxics and poisons. There used to be a poster in the 70s from uh, Union Carbide. Carbide has a hand in India's future, pouring a beaker of a red liquid over a farmer plowing his field. And it literally became the, you know, the face of Bhopal. Thousands died because a pesticide plant leaked. And till that time, we, they used to say, the idea that there are other alternatives to pesticides is totally false. Neem, a beautiful tree which Persians called Azad Darakt, which is what its scientific name is, Azadarakta Indica. Uh, I started on the day of the Bhopal disaster. No more Bhopals, let's plant a Neem because we have safe alternatives over centuries. 
Then, 10 years later, the name is patented and pirated. And 11 years, I fought that case against the US government and W.R. Grace, a company that jointly held a patent on pesticide properties of neem. So we were called superstitious. We were called ignorant. And our knowledge was taken. And Bhopal was totally avoidable if the non-violent path of agriculture that was our path for thousands of years had not been interrupted by the Green Revolution, by toxics and chemicals introduced in the name of development. We want to get on to all those uh, themes to an extent, but of course, as you know, Union Carbide, uh, as was, in, uh, they, there was an out-of-court settlement. I know that 600,000 are affected, some campaigners say, that uh, 120,000 continue to suffer to this day, maybe 50. No one really knows how many died, but they, they were very clear. I know it's been taken over by Dow Chemicals. The 1984 gas leak in Bhopal was a terrible tragedy, which understandably continues to evoke strong emotions even 20 years later. But uh, in the wake of the gas release, Union Carbide Corporation and then Chairman Warren Anderson worked diligently to provide aid to the victims and set up a process. All the claims arising out of the release were settled years ago at the explicit direction and approval of the Supreme Court of India. Why do you keep going on about it if, uh, if it's still so important, I suppose? Warren Anderson ran away, and there's enough records about his escaping from India. Second, that settlement brought about $100 to each person, which was nothing to cover the costs, definitely nothing to cover the lo loss of life. You talked about Union Carbide having been bought by Dow, but Dow since then has merged with DuPont, and DuPont and Dow have a beautiful name today, Corteva. So you'll never recognize and connect them to Union Carbide. New research is showing how Union Carbide, which pretends to have exited India, actually keeps existing through shell companies. So the amazing investigative journalists following up the Bhopal case, and sadly, every year, 2nd and 3rd of December in Bhopal, there are marches against the continued crime against Bhopal and the continued injustice. There was no justice delivered by Carbide till date. Well, we invite the chief executive of Corteva or any representative from uh, these uh, uh, newly changed named companies with relationships to the Bhopal disaster, which they deny. And, of course, they deny any connection. It's the past, they might, they might say. But um, what about whether geopolitical realignment because I did mention the Indian Supreme Court, and I know that appears in the film uh, in, a, in a very uh, emotional moment in the film as regards you personally. But on the Supreme Court level, they agreed to the settlement back then about Bhopal. Could things change again? Could India not uh, act so much as a vassal state to Washington, which was long suspected when it came to that settlement, and start to exert some kind of sovereign power against US multinationals, given realignments between China and Russia and all the rest of it, that, that's what's been going on this year? Yeah, uh, you know, even at the time where the Supreme Court gave this ruling, it was on the basis of a totally patriarchal claim by the state. They represented all the victims as parents patriarch, that they were the parent and they could represent all the victims. The victim said, you are not our parent. You've allowed our people to die. And those cases, some of them still continue. So I do hope 
that a new jurisprudence of courage, of compassion, will emerge once again, because after all, India is the land of Gandhi and Buddha. We are the land of nonviolence and compassion, and we should use every level of justice to bring compassion to the fore. But is there any change? Can there be a change, given the Supreme Court made that judgment years ago? It's already done, isn't it? Oh, well, um, you know, there are always new situations which trigger, for example, uh, you know, our, our big cash tenders were made illegal. That was 2016. Today, the Supreme Court is hearing that case and asking the government, show us the reason why you did it. Give us the proof that there was reason behind it. So, you know, it takes one judge of conscience. It takes one new trigger that connects another tragedy to Bhopal. And, of course, these cases can come back again. Well, as I said, all subsequent companies deny all liability. And uh, relating to what you first said to me uh, in this interview, uh, the soils of India may have been destroyed by uh, Union Carbide back then, but uh, according to you, the soils are being destroyed every single day across the global south. Uh, how exactly do you tie up this incredible network of UN agencies, the World Economic Forum, the IMF, EU, multinational corporations, all these different interconnected elements are somehow connected to that so such a basic uh, thing on life on Earth, the soil. Well, you know, I was, my head was all in quantum theory, atomic physics. That's what I was studying. And it was until 1984, the year of the Hopal disaster, but also the year of the Punjab disaster, when thousands of people died in new violence, that I was compelled to work for the United Nations University to study what was the Green Revolution. Where did it begin? Why are we using chemicals? Why are we destroying the soil? So I did the book Violence of the Green Revolution for the United Nations University. And A, I found that all agrochemicals of today, their ancestors are the chemicals of Hitler's Germany, IG Farben, and their American partners. You know, while the wars were being fought between the Nazis and the Allies, the companies were working together to use fossil fuel and finance to make chemicals. Standard Oil, Rockefeller brought the finance and the fossil fuels. Germany brought the chemical expertise. And that expertise evolved into the agrochemical industry, which I call the poison cartel because their names change so frequently, it's impossible to keep up with their names. But one thing that has stayed throughout from the 30s to now is they manufacture poison and they claim that it is necessary to grow food. Why are the soils across the world dying? Because the process of making nitrogen fertilizers through burning fossil fuels at high temperature to fix atmospheric nitrogen is the same process that made explosives. When you apply ammonium nitrate to the soil, the urea to the soil, all living organisms of soil die. Soil is living. It's fungi, it's bacteria, it's earthworm, is what create the fertility and create life in the soil. This toxic substance starts to kill life in the soil. So it creates deserts on the one hand, but it's so inefficient, only 10% is used by plants. 90% runs off as pollution of water, of dead zones in the ocean. But even more seriously, during the climate discussions, the silence on nitrous oxide hides the issue of nitrogen fertilizers in contribution to the climate disaster. One kilogram of nitrogen fertilizer uses two liters of diesel. 
It emits carbon dioxide plus nitrous oxide, which is 300 times more damaging to the climate than carbon dioxide. And then you have climate change that makes it worse. And the cycles, the vicious cycle of desertification of this. Interestingly, my research at that time showed that the same crop cultivated chemically uses 10 times more water than the crop cultivated organically. So land is not the scarce element on the, uh, on the planet. Water is. Water is what is drying out. Punjab has been absolutely decimated. Anywhere where industrial agriculture is there, lakes are disappearing, rivers are disappearing. So all the multiple crises that we face today, the green revolution, industrial agriculture based on fossil fuels and fossil fuel chemicals is at the root of it. Dr. Vandana Shiva, I'll stop you there. More from the world-renowned environmentalist after this break. военных, которые погибают, но они достойны защищать нашу родину. По нам начали стрелять украинские, мне ногу ранили. Вот так вот аж. Да чуть-чуть остался шрам. Фашисты первыми наступали на нашу землю, а мы защищали ее, терпели, погибали, но они все равно идут до, прям до, до победы. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with anti-globalization pioneer, Dr. Vandana Shiva. Of course, journalists will cover what happened in Punjab as merely ethnic strife and ethnic conflict, a point very well made in the film. Obviously, the Rockefellers' uh, foundation would say, uh, yeah, that was long ago. The Nazi links to these companies historically, whether it be that or Ford, uh, for instance, not only are these links... Uh, ignorable, that we should ignore them. Uh, these are the companies sponsoring all the climate uh, conferences. They are sponsoring the Green Revolution. They're sponsoring everything. And, uh, in fact, when it comes to what you said about fertilizer, of course, the, the greatest uh, uh, capitalist, uh, Bill Gates, uh, the uh, founder of uh, Pentagon contractor Microsoft, he said, in stark contrast to what you're saying, I have never been shy about my passion for fertilizer. It's a magical innovation that's responsible for saving millions of lives from hunger and lifting millions more out of poverty by boosting agricultural productivity. You're not saying he has something to do with the silence on nitrous oxide, are you? He has a lot to do with the silence on nitrous oxide. Because in his book, Dealing with Climate Catastrophe, he's standing in front of a fertilizer factory saying, I love fertilizer, and I'm happier than I look. Now, someone who can be made happier by urea and fossil fertilizer obviously doesn't know the life of the soil. He doesn't know how farmers cultivate living soil to grow more food. The more soil fertility, the more your food production, and the more the nutrients in your food. So the silence on the fertilizers is quite clearly driven by, on the one hand, the fertilizer industry itself. And during this period where the crisis is happening, the fertilizer prices have shot up, but it's the four or five companies that make money. 
Those companies then is the billionaire funds, the asset management funds, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, and Mr. Gates directly as, as a partner of Rockefeller. The, you know, the Alliance for the Green Revolution in Africa was a joint alliance of Rockefeller and, and Mr. Gates. So it isn't that these historic links are the past. Second, in my books on the uh, ancestry of genetic reductionism, you know, it was Rockefeller which financed all the research on eugenics, on finding the molecules of determinism in life. And that is what shaped the reductionist biology that then gave us reductionist genetic engineering. They haven't got out of this issue. The most important point, just before the Glasgow COP summit, Rockefeller with New York Stock Exchange announced that they were now creating asset, natural asset companies, that they would now own nature as a financial asset. This is going on in the COP of climate, is going on in the COP of biodiversity, it's going on in every food and food security COP. We are witnessing the financialization of nature and through the financialization, a new extractivism, which creates magic by saying the real economy, the rivers are dying, the soil is dying, the climate is destabilized. Now we will bet on Wall Street and the kind of collapse we created in 2008 will be nothing. We will now manufacture a $4,000 trillion economy, which we will control in a fictitious way. So they haven't stopped the game. They're continuing. It's just that the spheres change, the partnerships change, but the logic of totalitarian control over life is what guides every aspect of Rockefeller, Gates, and the Billionaire Club. Well, you've been saying that uh, they have a malign influence. Of course, there is an entire class, an entire elite class, involving the Alliance for the uh, Green Revolution and so many others who disagree. I, I have to say that given there are these elites, obviously, that can afford organic, in Western countries, organic food, or it's certainly labelled organic food, um, to get away from the fertilisers and pesticides, the very richest can, how does uh, how does it affect us inside us if we don't eat organic food because there's one mention of it in the film very briefly uh, what what is the microbiome and what are all these different companies all these agencies what what are they what do they mean for actually what's going on inside us they obviously deny any wrongdoing and saying all that they are doing is basically part of that green revolution which started decades ago and fed a billion people that would otherwise have starved to death well if it was so effective there wouldn't be a billion people hungry today and the earlier hunger was sporadic it was linked for example to the british colonialism extracting super surpluses 45 trillion from india and in the process, creating hunger and famine, and this is all on records. The new hunger is structural and is permanent, including the fact that half of the hungry of the world are agricultural producers who cannot eat the food they grow because they're growing commodities at high cost with lots of borrowing, so they're just selling everything they grow just to pay back yesterday's debt. The issue of how this, this false trap of how we are made to think of food begins with treating agriculture as an external input system, 
just to put leftover chemicals in it. It's treated as production, separate from our health, totally separate from our health. And then our health is purely the big pharma using our diseases for new manufacture. So take the fact that Bayer, which now has bought Monsanto, sells glyphosate, gives cancer, and the WHO has said glyphosate is a carcinogen. That's that is banned yeah. in Europe now after many court cases uh, for yeah. certain periods. It's banned you know, right now. They haven't really banned it fully. They're still debating it in the European Parliament. They haven't banned it fully. But the same company then brings you a patented cancer drug. That's a fight buyers had in India to try and strike down our laws that prevent this kind of monopoly. But what science is showing and what people knew, you know, Hippocrates Hoth, food is thy medicine, Ayurveda, Annam Sharva Oshadi, food is thy medicine, food is thy medicine. Now, new science and new research is showing us that the biodiversity of the soil microbiome, which feeds the plants with phytochemicals and richness, then feeds our gut microbiome, which is a hundred trillion fellow beings within us. We are only 10% of us. The remaining part of us is the gut microbiome. And the gut microbiome is so sensitive. All of those microbes need, need different food. So we have to eat diversity. They have sensors that can test the toxics. They can test uniformity, which is another issue. This new fake food based on GMO soya, put as milk, put as bread, made into everything. But by the time that molecule hits our gut, it's an attack and we get allergies. We had all kinds of gut problems. So the gut microbiome is a forest within us. We must tenderly take care of it. And we can only take care of it by taking care of the forest outside in the soil and in our farms. Again and again in the film, as you uh, progress in your journey to where you are now, you question uh, uh, things and connections and interconnections, but why do you think that uh, doctors who are routinely in NATO countries treating uh, ever more allergies, so they say, uh, aren't questioning these links necessarily? No, actually, the more responsible doctors, the more informed doctors are actually making these links. I know at least three cancer specialists who've given up their clinics in cities and started organic farming to say, I will treat my patients by growing good food and nurturing the gut microbiome. Of course, most of the people in the, in, I don't call it the health sector because they're not providing health. If they were providing health, they'd be thinking of food. They are basically part of the industrial medical complex. They're just running the treadmill, you know, the medical representatives come, they allocate these drugs, and it's a machine to sell medicines and drugs. It's the Rockefeller machine. What Rockefeller did to Green Revolution, he also did to our body, and basically tried to criminalize every system of healthcare that has existed forever. India's Ayurveda is more than 5,000 years old. And Every attempt is made to rubbish it. But to which they would say, to which they would say, life expectancy has increased after the Green Revolution. The fact that cancers are more prevalent is merely because people are living longer, and that allergies are somehow diseases of affluence. You know, you know what's written about uh, in the press, and I know in the film you talk about lobbied journalism to an extent. What? what how do no, you react? No, but in the case that? of Punjab, it's so clear. Punjab, they were the healthiest people, really hardworking. 
Today, Punjab is a pocket of suicides because of debt and cancers because of pesticides. There's a cancer train that leaves Punjab. And it's not because... Okay, but life expectancy is higher than it was under the British. <laughs> no, no, it's not. That's a figure on paper. Young children are going in this cancer train. Children are getting cancer. It's not just the old people. I mean, you know, why do I take up... If the film shows the many steps at which I took on a challenge and addressed it. Two things create outreach in me. Unnecessary harm to the earth and unnecessary violence to human beings. Bhopal was about violence to people. Punjab was about violence to people and violence to the earth. And then I ask a question, why do we do it this way? Why this violence? And I go into the structures. And then, of course, I can't live with the violence and an analysis of it. I must find the nonviolent path. So my journey has just been a deeper and deeper and deeper journey in nonviolence, deeper and deeper journey to protect biodiversity. And every step, I wasn't looking for the poison cartel and different things, but they merge behind every disaster, they emerge. So the connections of the violence we face in the world, the violence against climate, violence against biodiversity, species extinction, you know, of course insects will disappear if insecticides are unleashed to kill the insects. Biodiversity of plants will disappear if you unleash glyphosate meant to kill everything green, as Monsanto used to say in the convention meetings. Kill everything green. Green is the solution to life on Earth. A chemical designed to just kill the green is already ecocidal. I know the film shows how your sister changed your life and uh, Albert Einstein Changed, changed your life. Einstein said private capitalists inevitably control the main sources of information. It's almost impossible for individual citizens to, uh, to come to objective conclusions and to make intelligent use of political rights. Do you think that it may be very different from country to country, from continent to continent, that the information war is being lost, that the amount of lobby journalism... I was surprised to hear that you... I suppose maybe, maybe your fans would not be surprised to hear that you were under personal attack. I know in the, in the film it shows your, your life was threatened anyway, but you're under personal attack from magazines like The New Yorker or whatever. <laughs> uh, do you think what you're saying can be transmitted in media publications, in massively profitable markets in Western Europe and the United States? Well, you know, for me, what matters is that it's transmitted. And, you know, I can say this much. Just yesterday, a young child from New Zealand released a book. And when she was asked, what inspired you to do this book? And she says, Vandana Shiva's writings on the Green Revolution in Bhopal. Here are young people all over the place. They didn't get it from social media. They actually read books and they did research. So there's a thinking group, a concerned group of citizens who are very awake and are looking everywhere where they can to find the answers to the multiple crises we face. Then you've got the heavy machinery. And it's so repetitive. You know, I can even predict what will be said. Because of the film we are discussing, its premier was in Germany, and now Bayer is in Germany. You should see the armies they unleashed to attack and attack and attack. So they don't calm down. And for me, you know, for, I did science because science means to know the truth, to, to, you know, to know its knowledge. That's my passion. Knowledge is my passion. And just because five men paid with money, the Michael Spectors and the Mark Linuses, 
write trashy pieces, you know, I'm not going to give up my passion for seeking answers on how to protect life on this planet. I will continue that. Dr. Vandana Shiva, thank you. And that's it for the show. Remember, you can watch The Seeds of Vandana Shiva now on VandanaShivaMovie.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. But until then, you can still keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. But you can always head to the channel Going Underground TV on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you very soon.